With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chalk Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. I'm joined tonight by Steve Fetch. Hi, how you doing tonight, Fetch? Hey, good. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So, you know, there's a lot that happened in the uh, KU Athletics world over the weekend, um, but we're not going to talk about much of that because, honestly, I don't know that we really want to. Um, you know, we'll, we'll mention the uh, the debacle that was the KU TCU football game, um, and we'll just leave it at the fact that it was a debacle. I don't think there's really anything else to say. And we've kind of beat to death the fire zinger um, call that we have here on on the podcast. But I don't think it will do anyone any good to listen to us talk about that for the next 20 minutes. So instead, let's go ahead and take a look. Um, Fetch, I know recently you you actually came out with your projected Big 12 standing for the for the basketball uh, season. I'd like to go ahead and talk a little bit about that. I, the, the main thing that I noticed was having TCU up at third. And, and actually, I had mentioned this in the uh, in the the preview with the Frogs of War uh, people that actually I, I actually agree with that that I see TCU up so high. What what do you think is? I mean, I, I guess I'm not so sure about necessarily all that returning talent that they have, but how I mean, how how much of that is just uh, Jamie Dixon being there? Yeah, I. I mean, I think that that is a, a big part of it. I mean, yeah, they, they've got a lot back, but if it was a lot, if they had a lot back and it was, you know, Trent Johnson at the helm still, I'd probably have them like seventh. Um, but, you know, Jamie Dixon has shown that he can, you know, kind of get the most out of his teams uh, year in and year out. Um, one quick thing, I guess, is is uh, Ken Palm's preseason ratings came out, uh, I think, yesterday. And uh, or I guess Sunday, since I'm sure this is going to air later this week. But um, he also has TCU third, uh, so that's that was kind of nice to see. Just from a, you know, I think his, his preseason rankings are uh, can get a little wonky. Um, I won't go into the methodology. He has a thing on his blog if if you people want to go read it. But um, it's just nice to have that extra you know data point. Um, but I think, I think a lot of it, uh, is that some of their key players, uh, from their team last year, I mean, Jalen Fisher, um, was a freshman last year. So him, you know, getting another year uh, of experience, uh, is going to help, um, Desmond Baden, I think started, uh, quite a bit. I don't know if he started every game, but I know he started quite a bit, you know, as a freshman. So he's going to be a year older. Um, then they got, <clears throat> Excuse me, um, Vlad Brodzianski, who is one of my favorite players in the league, he's going to be a senior. Uh, and then Alex Robinson, who, uh, if he can kind of shoot the ball a little bit better, might be one of the better point guards in the league. Uh, he's going to be a senior, too. So 
you know, they got quite a bit of experience. Um, they lost a couple of guys who uh, played, you know, pretty nice roles for them. But um, all in all, you know, I, I have a little chart uh, in that little preview post where it's um, basically the team's uh, Ken Palm rank from a year ago um, plotted by the number of minutes they have uh, coming back. And TC right. is actually second in the league in, in minutes coming back. And I just think that continuity and, and with it being – um, the second year uh, of Jamie Dixon um, is going to be a, a big help. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I have them there as well, and I do think that Jamie Dixon is a big part of that. I mean, I just the fact that they got turned around as well as they did in, in the one you know the first year he was there um, puts them on an upward trajectory. I think that also kind of speaks to just how balanced the league is, and you know, I, I actually was just looking over the. the the Ken Palm numbers, I was a little bit surprised. I hadn't realized that, you know, he has nine of the 10 big 12 teams in the top 40. And then Oklahoma state is the only one outside the top 40 and they're number 50. So all, all 10 teams in the big 12 are in the top 50 of, of Ken Palm at this point, which is just crazy to think about. I mean, have, have you in, in recent memory, have you ever thought that the league has been as good as it is? It seems to be this year from, from top to bottom going into the year. Uh, boy, I mean, you would have, I mean, last year and, and the year before, I mean, that's, you know, we're really in kind of a, uh, you know, bit of a renaissance here. And I think, you know, part of it is, you know, having 10 teams in the league. So you don't really have, um, you know, the ACC might be, um, as strong at the top with, you know, your Dukes and your Carolinas and, and stuff like that. But, you know, they also have like Boston college, uh, has been terrible and, um, you know, Georgia Tech was really bad a couple of years ago. Um, so, that, you know, and, you know, you go down the line, I mean, the Big Ten has Rutgers and, and the Pac-12 has Washington State. And so, so all these other leagues have, uh, you know, horrible teams, um, whereas the, the last place team in the Big 12 is, is a team that you still got to kind of worry about. Um, you know, last year, uh, Texas – finished last in the Big 12 uh, at 4-14, four and 14, and they were 70th in Ken Palm. But, I mean, Kansas beat them by, uh, I'm just looking right now, they beat them by 12 at home and by 10 on the road, which are, you know, not nail biters by any means, but they're not beating them by 30, you know. So there's not really a game that you can kind of sleepwalk through uh, in the Big 12, um, which, by the way, I think probably makes the, the conference streak a little bit more impressive i i personally think it would be easier for kansas to win the league if they had you know maybe one or two teams who were kind of closer to where they are and then a bunch of bottom feeders especially uh, when they have kind of the depth issues uh that they do this year you know you can take a couple of those games off a little bit maybe but uh you, you definitely can't do that this year so um top of the league i think you know kansas and west virginia are in um a class by themselves. And then I think maybe those next four teams, uh, TCU, Oklahoma, uh, Texas, and Baylor are kind of in a tier. And then K-State, Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State are, are kind of in a tier. But um, top end, maybe not not as good as we're used to seeing. But I think top to bottom, you know, this is, this is about as good as you're going to get. Yeah, and I, I think that, that's fair. And I, I do agree with your Tiers that you had there, I might be tempted. Well, I, I might be tempted to put to drop Texas down and bring up someone like K State, um, but you know that would have to. I think that we would have to kind of see um, some early season results that would kind of back that up. I mean, it's not unreasonable to, to, to group them the way that you have. Um, you know, I, I do think kind of to your point about how um, you know the league would be easier to win if there was just like one or two other good teams. I, I mean. We've seen year in, year out that there's one or two other teams that are up in the, you know, the same general area that KU is at. Um, but th I think what makes it even more impressive is just the fact that there's not been consistency in terms of who the teams are. You know, so you think about the ACC, um, you know, Duke and North Carolina, they always know that the other team is going to be good. Or, you know, the SEC, you know, there's maybe only only one or two. Kentucky pretty much has Florida has been consistent, um, you know, up there with them or, or you know, someplace like the, Pac, uh, the Pac-12, you know, they, they've had a few teams that have been consistently good and the rest of them are kind of middle of the road. Now, I mean, 
the way that I kind of see it is, you know, going into the season, you know who you're going to have to get up for and have a good game. You know, Arizona knows that they have to get up for a game with, um, you know, like like an, an Oregon or something like that. In the, in the Big 12, you really don't know who that's going to be. I mean, last year it was West Virginia. Um, you know, a few years ago, for, for a while it was Oklahoma or it was Texas or it was Iowa State. You know, you never know who's going to be that team that's going to jump up and just make a run through the Big 12 and challenge Kansas for that. And so it's not like they can go into a game and say, yeah, well, I think we can take this team off. Um, you know, and I mean, because e- even when we've seen cases where, you know, a team that's at the bottom of the league plays really well at home, and, and even when Kansas comes in, and obviously Kansas is going to get everyone's best shot anyway because they've, you know, won, won the league so many times in a row. But, uh, you know, th- there's that inherent disadvantage in the Big 12 of because the league is so solid, you never know where the, the actual legitimate challenge is going to come from because there are so many solid teams. And, and a team that looks like they're really good one week could fall because another team gets hot that is just as good as they are. So, yeah, I definitely think that the Big 12 has some very unique challenges that make it even more impressive, even though people don't give them the credit that they get because there aren't, you know, two or three consistent teams that they can always point to as they're always good. Um, you know, the Big 12 always has teams that show out really well, um, and they just don't, you know, they aren't able to make it to the Final Four, but we've had that discussion before about just how difficult it is to get to the Final Four. Um, you know, so uh, that, you know, t- tournament success shouldn't be the barometer of how good a conference is, um, even though that's really the way we measure everything in, in, in college basketball these days. Yeah, and I, I think you hit on a good point, too, with, with the ACC and kind of knowing who all these good teams are going to be. Um, you know, remember the the Big 12 is the only uh, power five league with the, the double round robin. So, right. you know, they – they apparently can't win at West Virginia, but they have to go there every year. Uh, you know, they, they usually struggle at Oklahoma State and, you know, have to go there every year. And, uh, you know, they usually struggle at Iowa State and Kansas State a little bit, and they have to go there every year. So, I mean, imagine a world where you, you got to take two of those off every year, um, like you do in the ACC. Um, you know, I'm just kind of looking at the standings last year, and, and it looks like North Carolina uh, – you know, only had Louisville, who was one of the top teams in the league at home. And that's, you know, that was the difference. I mean, North Carolina beat Louisville in the league by two games. Um, and, I mean, that's obviously not the only difference, um, but it's it's a big one. You know, if Louisville would have gotten a chance to, to host Carolina, who knows, you know. Um, and I remember there was a there was a big, you know, thing a couple of years ago where Virginia won the league over, I think, North Carolina. Right, um, but only played North Carolina at Virginia and didn't have to go there. So not only that, uh, stuff like they, that. Played, they also only played, I believe, Syracuse in the league at the time. They only played Syracuse at Virginia. They only played Duke once, and they ended up beating them. I mean, usually in other conferences, when you know a team comes and surprises for the top of the league, it's because they've been able to benefit from scheduling, where they don't have to face a very tough schedule. Like those, those teams that come out of nowhere are the ones that have benefited a lot, kind of like, you know, Kansas did the, the year that they went really, you know, they went to the Orange Bowl in uh, football because they benefited from a schedule that just set up perfectly for them. Um, similar, we, we see that a lot in a lot of conferences with basketball. In the Big 12, when a team – comes out and surprises people. They have to do it legitimately against a very tough schedule. Everybody in the Big 12 has the same, you know, strength of schedule, so it's not like you can find a team that is going to get that that boost from not having to face the top uh, teams in the conference enough time. Obviously, we had that when we had the unbalanced league before we went down to 10. Um, but even then, you know, I mean, we were, we were splitting with teams that we only played once, um, even after they beat us in that one. So, I mean, it, you know, to, to, to say that that was why we benefited from it, you know, previously, I think would be kind of a fallacy there. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, well, yeah, you know, especially when, I mean, you're right, like they would lose at Texas and and split with Texas, but not get that home game against them, which, you know, you got to figure you're going to win at home and then win the league outright. So it's kind of a, yeah, that's kind of a weird point to make if you ask me, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I, you know, I know that there's some people that would say, oh, well, you know, Kansas benefited from that early in the streak. But if you look at it, like the year that we tied with Oklahoma, we lost at Oklahoma, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, there was there was a year, 
there was a few other years where, you know, stuff like that happened where we split with someone, but we lost to them at their house and we didn't get the return or we lost them in the one meeting that we had and we didn't get a, right. a chance to actually make up for that. Um, you know, obviously the only exception being that one year that we tied with Kansas State, even though we swept them in the in the season series. So, um, you know, we've we've benefited a few times here and there, but it's not like we can say, oh, well, the only reason they won the league is because they benefited from a from a weak schedule or no, or right. to avoid people again. So, all right. Well, um, let's see. What other what other teams do you think people are going to be either surprised with or because um, I, I haven't had a chance to look at it, at many of the other rankings, but I mean, I mean, I'm having a hard time imagining that you're too far off from anyone else. Have you found any big discrepancies between your rankings? And- uh, you know, um, just looking at uh, the Ken Palm stuff here, um, he has Baylor at four. I mean, nothing, nothing too outrageous. Um, but yeah, he has Baylor at four and, and Iowa State at uh, seven. Um, and I have Baylor at six and Iowa State at nine. Uh, and I and I think Sports Illustrated the two has kind of a similar uh, you know stats only basically uh, projection thing had Baylor at at third or fourth I think, um, and I have them at sixth. And Baylor was probably the toughest uh, team for me to rank. Um, they bring back about sixty percent of their minutes, which is quite a bit for a, a major conference team. Um, and they were obviously a really good team last year, but, you know, they're losing Jonathan Motley, who, um, you know, if I wanted to get my Skip Bayless on and get contrarian, I, I could have made like a reasonable Big 12 player of the year uh, argument for him. Um, maybe maybe until like, you know, the last week or whatever when Mason went off. But but the point is, you know, he was he was really good. Um, and so I, I don't really know. You know, I don't really know what to do with him because he's going to be really tough to replace. Um, but they, you know, they have talent. I mean, I like Man of the Comp, even though he had kind of a rough year last year. I really like uh, Joe. I, I believe it's Actuil is how you pronounce it. Um, I think so, but. <laughs> and, yeah, who knows, right? Exactly. Um, so, I mean, you know, they have some guys that I like, and I mean, Scott Drew for all of his like weird stuff that he does late in the game, um, usually gets his teams playing about as hard as anyone in the league. So um, I got to figure they're going to get a win or two just based off that where they're, you know, more amped up to play than, you know, the teams that they're going to be fighting in the middle of the pack with. So they were really tough to rank. And then, you know, as I mentioned, Iowa State, I mean, they have, just a ton of new guys. They only have one guy um, who's uh, kind of a, a big name recruit, as far as I know. You know, you know how much I uh, follow um, follow recruiting. Uh, his name is, uh, I think it's Wendell uh, Lindell Wigginton. I think is what it is. Uh, he's Canadian and uh, played in the Hoop Summit game and stuff. So he's a he's definitely a legit recruit. I think the other guys are more um, kind of you know bottom half of the top 100 type guys. And those guys are, can't really historically depend on them to, to contribute. So, you know, they could be, you know, as high as fifth or sixth. Um, I kind of like Steve Prohm a little bit more than I thought I would. Um, but, you know, I have them ninth just because they have so many new guys. And, and uh, I mean, I, you know, but, but anything could happen with them too. So, those are kind of the two ones that I think were were a little bit tough, and I've seen Iowa State all over the map as well. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and, and I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about. That there's enough unknowns about um, about the different teams that we have in here, and, and how they're going to perform, and with all these new guys. But everybody's going to face everybody. So as you know, as they go on, we'll we'll get it separated out pretty quickly about who actually is the best team. Um, but I think that's where the you know there's the biggest the biggest room to be wrong on guys is where it's just unknown. So yeah, Iowa State is one I could see potentially jumping up. Um, you know, Oklahoma State I think is one that could potentially surprise people, um, but only because we really have no clue. You know who's gonna who's gonna take over the leadership there. You know they're they're in the middle of their second coaching change in two years. Obviously not really their fault um, to have. Brad Underwood taken away from them, you know, by just a, a dream job for him, essentially. 
Um, but so yeah, I mean, it's going to be kind of hard for them to, to replace what they've lost. But you know, we've we've seen crazier things where a team just replaces everything, and all of a sudden nobody knows how to handle them, and they make a big run. So o- Oklahoma State was kind of that team last year where they made a big run early in the conference. Um, or maybe I had that backwards. I'm trying to remember if they were 0 and 5 or or were really really performing better than I thought. You know what? I take that back. I think they were they started out really bad, but then they came on strong right after that. Um, yeah, yeah, they started out uh, 0 and 6, and then uh, got all the way up to 9 and 7. That okay? There were one. Yeah, won nine of their last of their next 10 games, and then lost the. The last yeah. two to finish okay. nine and nine. So they had the big run. I just had it backwards as to when it was. So I mean, yeah, you know, everybody everybody was down on them after obviously they started zero and six, and yet they came back to make it respectable. I mean, finishing above five hundred in the conference. Um, but you know, if if you would ask going into the year, there was yeah, Brad Underwood was a, was a hot commodity, um, getting hired away from a mid major, you know, after a, a phenomenal tournament run. But um, I mean, yeah, it's just it's it's hard to know who's going to be the surprise team and who's going to fall off a cliff that you wouldn't have seen coming. So, all right, let's go ahead and, uh, and actually jump real quick before I wanted to talk some, some NBA, but before we do that, back, back when you posted this, you had asked for any kind of questions related to this or any kind of, you know, mailbag that we had. And, and I know that we put out a question for, or we put out a call for the Twitter Q and a uh, today. We didn't actually get any responses to that, but what we did get I can get back to it. Um, back on the 12th, when the, when this article posted, um, it's from from at Kevbo nine. Uh, he says KU is down three, time running out. Who's the guy you want shooting? V or Graham or Newman? And obviously, this isn't related specifically to this, but I think that we're going to get those sort of situations throughout the Big 12 play this this year, where we're going to need, you know, we're going to have a lot of close games. So I'll go ahead and throw that question over to you. Who who is the guy that you want shooting that last shot? Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's Graham for me pretty easily. Um, you know, he's taken the most threes out of, out of all those guys, um, and shot. So, you know, he took, uh, about 70 more threes than speed did last year and shot, you know, 1% worse. Um, and speed's mostly taken, you know, in the corner, fairly open threes, whereas Graham's taken a lot of you know, off the dribble, a lot of late in the shot clock stuff. Um, so he, you know, he's definitely the guy for me. Um, Newman, you know, he shot uh, about the same amount uh, as Steve did his freshman year uh, and shot in the high 30% as well. But, you know, and he's, you know, he's okay off the dribble too. And, and he's okay off the dribble too. I don't want to, you know, make it sound like he sucks off the dribble, but, uh, Graham's just another level as far as that goes. Um, yeah, I but you know, I mean, if if it's all dribble, like if that's the stipulation there, then yeah, I think it's definitely Graham. But if, but if it's just who do you want being the guy that gets set up for that shot, I would almost say that I'd rather have Newman um, because I trust Graham to be able to help create a, a shot and get him more open for a, a you know a wide open three. Um, if Newman, yeah, I'm shot right. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, I'm I'm coming at it from just like an overall, you know, all kinds of different situations type deal. You know, if right. you have one three and you don't really know what type of three it's going to be. Um, well, one I, thing that's, I think you know, in, in, is that we're so used to last year, you know, Frank Mason being the guy who would create his own shot when the game was on the line. And so that's kind of in the mind for, you know, the mindset that we're in um, is, you know, Frank Mason was the guy. He was the obvious guy you want taking the last shot, and for him to take a good shot, usually he's creating it for himself. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of teams that have those sorts of players, but if we're thinking, you know, who do we want to draw up a play for? You know, thinking like, uh, uh, you know, the way the way that they do it in the NBA is usually they they try to draw up a play for a particular guy. He's not the guy who necessarily brings the ball up, um, but they'll you know they'll actually script something to try to get a guy an open shot. And that, that's kind of the way I'm thinking of it. I think Graham is going to be a lot better at facilitating that and not actually taking the shot himself. But ultimately, I think that's, that's what you would like to draw up. Now, obviously, the defense has something to say about that. It's not likely that that's always going to happen. So yeah, if, if, if it's a guy taking a shot on his own, I would say Graham. If it's, you know, draw up the perfect play and who do you want to get the ball to so he can shoot it, I, I think I'd have to go with Newman at this point. 
Yeah, one one thing I guess too in in Sfi's, uh favor is that he's the tallest guy by far. So if there's yeah. an issue as far as getting it off, you know, he can get it over someone. Although you know Graham has a pretty quick release, and from what I've seen, Newman does too. So that's maybe not as important. But um, it's you know they're certainly gonna have a lot of uh, um, a lot of options if they run chop in that last play. I mean they're gonna be able to no know, class, pass it yeah. to basically whoever they want, which is nice. Definitely. All right. So I, I teased it earlier. Let's let's go ahead and jump over to the NBA. Um, obviously, the season has started. Uh, it's been what six days into the season now, um, or maybe seven. But anyway, we've already had a lot going on at the beginning of the season. Obviously, we had Wiggins with his uh, monster uh, dunk to to seal a game, if I remember correctly. We had uh, Josh Jackson has already had his coach get fired. Um, Josh Jackson himself got into a little bit of a dust-up with a fan, apparently. Uh, there's a ton of stuff to talk about. So what do you want to jump to first? Boy. Um, I'll, I'll start with Wiggins. You know, I'm a, I'm a Timberwolves fan, so um, that's, you know, pretty nice. Uh, Wiggins uh, definitely is, is like the addition of Jimmy Butler, I think. You know, he, he doesn't have the other team's uh, best defender guarding him a little bit more uh, as much. I'm sorry. Um, which has helped. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I was looking at some NBA.com stuff, um, and they have some pretty detailed stats. And he's taking basically all of his shots from either three or at the rim and, and basically has eliminated the, the mid-range jumper from his game, which is a big thing that uh, I wanted to see him get rid of. Um, he's cutting off the ball a lot better, which is nice, which I think is you know partly – just having other, you know, talented offensive players around him who are good passers. Uh, defensively, he's been a lot better, which I kind of thought, you know, always thought was going to come. I think that he just kind of, uh, first couple of years uh, in the league, he had to be the, the go-to guy on offense, and it's just so tough to to then bring it on defense as well, unless you're, you know, Kawhi Leonard. Um, so, you know, he's rebounded better um, because of that as well. Um, still not a great playmaker, which, you know, might just not be his game, um, but it is what it is. Um, but just, you know, he's, he's gone to another level as a scorer. Um, and so I think, you know, he might he might best be suited as like the second or maybe even third best guy on, on like a really good team. But uh, I think he's still going to be, you know, end up being worth the max, which is something that was probably a little bit in doubt after his second year in the league, but, um, or his third year in the league, I guess. Um, so that's nice. Um, you know, and then the other one, obviously, uh, I don't know if you want to jump into the Josh Jackson, um, but I, I just watched the video again. And uh, so he, he gets subbed out of a game. Uh, they're playing the Clippers, I believe. And uh fan says something to him and uh, Jackson looks over him. Adam and does uh like a like he mimics like he's shooting a gun at him and uh, I believe says f off or f you uh, one of the two and then sits down so uh, certainly you know things have not been quiet in Phoenix um, and I think you had a pretty good quote uh, from him about that if I remember correctly yeah yeah so I actually just looked it up because um, I hadn't actually originally heard about that um, but. He he said that uh, he actually was not. Oh yeah, he, here the, the the quote from him. That's what most people thought it was going. Um, but I actually wasn't making a gun. I kind of wanted to put up the middle finger to him, but I didn't do that because I felt like I was really being watched. So I kind of halfway did it. So essentially, he wanted to flip the guy off. Thought that that would be you know a problem and that he would get sanctioned by the NBA for it. So instead he kind of half-heartedly did it and and it ended up looking like he was trying to shoot the guy, you know, with, with a little finger gun. Um, obviously not a good look, not, not something that really reflects well um, with all the, you know, heightened tensions there are with, with a player and fan interactions and everything. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a kind of a, a rookie mistake to make. Uh, you know, he doesn't want to get known for that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's it's good that he came out and kind of explained what was going on, and he definitely wasn't, you know, making the finger gun motion. Um, but obviously, to let the fan get to him that quickly is is gonna is gonna cause problems. I think, you know, he's only a few games into his NBA career, and he's already having problems with 
uh, fans getting into his head. So that, that could potentially be an issue for him. It's definitely something to watch. I'm wondering, though, how much of that, too, is just how bad the situation is down there. I mean, his, 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 his coach just recently got fired. Um, you know, his, he's brand new in the league. There's a lot of uh, turmoil and, and unrest down there. So I'm not necessarily surprised that everything kind of got to him, but you have to hope, you know, that your top guys going into the league are going to behave themselves a little bit better than that. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it wasn't a good look for him, but uh, I don't know that there's much else to say. Obviously their team isn't really doing too well if the coach just got fired. So let's jump over to someone who I guess I'm a little surprised at this point is actually getting as much action as he did. Frank, Frank Mason over in Sacramento. I mean, I know that he was, he was featured a lot on social media for the for the Kings in the preseason, um, you know. But they have a lot of uh, of new talent there. Um, De'Aaron Fox, and they've got Buddy Heald and a bunch of other guys there. You know, I saw that that Frank got uh, seven points on seventeen minutes. So I'm a little surprised he actually got to play that much, um, just given the fact you know that they they drafted somebody else at his same position. Have you had a chance to watch much of what? Uh, of, of of what Mason's been able to do out out in Sacramento, you know I haven't caught him in the regular season yet. Uh, I did uh, watch some preseason stuff. Um, he actually led the team in scoring in the preseason, which is nice. Um, which is crazy. Yeah, obviously, you know, De'Aaron Fox was was drafted. I think they took him fifth overall. That might be a lie, but obviously, when you spend that high of a pick on a point guard, I mean, you're going to play him. Um, over your second round pick, uh, which is understandable. And, and, you know, obviously Fox is like four years younger, so that's understandable as well. Um, but Mason, I think has certainly, you know, shown that he can play uh, in the NBA and, you know, they, they did sign George Hill. Um, and I think they signed uh, one other veteran uh, backcourt player as well. So, you know, for that reason, you know, he might not get a ton of minutes right away, but, um, I think he's going to force himself into the rotation, and I think, you know, maybe some of those vets are going to get uh, traded or, you know, whatever, um, and Mason's going to get to play a little bit more as the year goes on, and, and certainly going into next year. Um, you know, the the added distance on the three-point shot has not been a deterrent for him. Um, you know, shown the ability to, to hit a floater. Um, he's made a lot of tough passes. You know, defensively I'm, is always going to be a bit of an issue um, just because of his size, and that's probably a reason why he's, he's probably not ever going to really be a starter, but uh, I still think he can be, a, you know, a good uh, guard off the bench and kind of a, um, maybe like a much shorter Jamal Crawford who comes in and, and shoots a ton and, and maybe runs the show for a little bit and, and has kind of those explosions uh, every fourth or fifth game or so where he's, you know, one of the better players on the floor. Um, but, you know, again, because of the size, probably won't ever really be able to do it consistently. But still, I mean, just a, a tremendous job by him um, and, and you know, the coaching staff and everything at Kansas, obviously. But uh, let's be honest, you know, mostly by him working his way from, you know, a really unheralded uh, kind of afterthought in that recruiting class with, uh, you know, Wayne Selden and, and Andrew Wiggins and Joel Embiid and, and even, you know, Connor Frank Camp got more fanfare than he did. And now, you know, Mason's in the NBA. So, you know, great job by him there. Yeah, I see Mason as the kind of guy, I guess the the best comp that I have in terms of point guard would be a guy like Mario Chalmers, who when he went into the league, I don't think in many people expected him to really stick around as a starter. And it took, you know, it, it really did take uh, LeBron James and, you know, that, that uh, big three coming together and deciding that Mario Chalmers was the guy that they wanted as their point guard for him to really stick around. After they left, I, you know, if, if I remember correctly, um, after LeBron left, Chalmers had a hard time kind of sticking with the team in that starting spot and ultimately ended up getting injured and then left. Um, you know, so I, I kind of see that sort of thing that in order for Mason to really get an opportunity as a starter, he's going to have to find a star that just really falls in love with the way that he plays the point guard position to allow him to really, you know, take that role and, and be there because of that guy. Not saying that he doesn't have talent and that he can't be a productive player, but in terms of, um, you know, getting getting known as a as, as a productive starter, it's going to take having another guy to kind of help push him along. Uh, he's definitely going to stick around, I think, in the NBA for a while just because of what he contributes off the bench. 
Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's realistic to think that he's on his own going to be able to push himself into that starter role long. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's you know, in the NBA these days, there's a lot of money to be made as a, even a bench guy. So I mean, oh. I, I don't think he's gonna. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna be hurting. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he's gonna be too worried about it. I just you know, in in terms of, for for anyone that is thinking about you know big KU stars as as starters in the league, Mason's not going to fit in that role. But I, I could definitely see him having a very long and productive NBA career. Um, just because of what he can contribute off the bench and, and the way that he can, you know, add that spark to the team. So, speaking of big NBA KU stars, obviously, kind of lost in the shuffle was the big contract extensions to both Joel Embiid and, and Andrew Wiggins. Um, you know, I, I know we already talked about the uh, Joel Embiid the last time you were on the podcast, um, but but what about that that Wiggins extension? I mean, do, do you think it was? Um, I mean, was it kind of a reactionary kind of thing with uh, the news about MB, just with how, how quick they were back-to-back? Or, you know, is this something that had been, like, a long time coming and just the timing happened to work out really well for that? Yeah, the the, the Wiggins one uh, had been coming for, for quite a while. I mean, it was floated out there in the summer, and, and the owner even mentioned something about, you know, he wanted to sit down and, and talk with Wiggins before they signed it, and then, um, there was some something where Wiggins, you know, fired his agent, uh, kind of in the midst of this, and um, I don't know if he, you know, doesn't want him to get the commission and wants, you know, wants to try to keep it all, or wants one of his boys to to be his agent and get it. Which, um, you know, without getting into it, I I don't know the full story, but I I don't think that that's going to work. Um, but anyway, you know, he ended up signing it. I think the first day of practice. Um, and it was just one of those things where he just, uh, you know, wasn't really, wasn't really bothered by it, which, I mean, if I got 150 million coming to me, I'm going to sign the thing as soon as possible. Um, yeah. especially, you know, who knows if you could get hurt training in the summer and stuff. And, um, it was just a, a pretty standard, you know, extension too. Um, I'm not a huge, uh, NBA CBA expert, but from what I understand, there's only kind of so much wiggle room you have with these kind of first extensions that you can sign off your rookie deal. So uh, he was kind of always going to get basically what he got. Um, And as far as, you know, there's, uh, you know, the kind of more advanced stats, uh, people don't really think that he's worth uh, the money. I think he is. I mean, I think he's only going to get better um, from here. And, you know, again, maybe he's the second or third best player on a team, but, you know, there's room for three max guys uh, in the league. So, um, I'm not, I'm not really worried about that part of it. Um, and again, I mean, he's, what is he? 21. I think, I don't think he's even 22 yet. Um, yeah. So he's only, he's only going to get better, you know? And then, uh, yeah, speaking of Embiid, you know, there's a lot more weird stuff in his thing where, um, you know, they can void the deal if he gets hurt or whatever. And I, you know, I don't know the exact specifications, but, um, Philly obviously had to do that because, you know, if Embiid goes into restricted free agency, someone's going to offer him, you know, the max and make it all guaranteed just because they, you know, want to take a shot at getting a potentially transcendent player. And then Philly would have to match that. So um, I think this was the best move that they had. Um, speaking of Embiid, actually, um, I'm just kind of peeking in on uh, they're playing Detroit tonight and uh, he just had a, a really nice dunk. I saw someone, uh, put it up on Twitter and uh, just went to look at the box where he has 25 points um, like midway through the, through the fourth quarter and he's only played 22 minutes and he's 10 of 12. So 25 points, six rebounds, two steals, does have five turnovers. Um, but, you know, I think he'll probably take that with the rest of the stuff that he's done uh, in just 22 minutes. So once that minutes restriction uh, gets lifted and hopefully it does, um, I, I can't even imagine kind of the numbers that he's going to put up. I mean, he's just incredible to watch. Yeah, I think that's the craziest thing. I mean, you know, he's been on that minutes restriction, but it's but you know he's still been able to have enough of an impact that people are talking about him for stuff like the All Star Game and you know just in in last year before he got hurt. So you know, just the fact that when he's on the floor, everybody notices and everybody pays attention. Um, he's got to get that minutes restriction lifted, and and honestly. You know, it sounds like he's been 
been pushing really hard for them to just let him go. And they're being a little conservative. I mean, I understand given his, his injury history, why they want to be conservative, but you know, it's also kind of the question of, well, if you're going to, you're going to sign a guy for that much money, you know, and, and you're, you're sitting there with him being able to make that much of an impact on the game. Um, you know, where is that kind of sweet spot of getting the most that you can con- contribution wise? Um, and, protecting him to make sure he doesn't get injured. I mean, I, I don't I don't think, you know, limiting him to 20 minutes a game is necessarily going to keep him from getting injured, um, you know, and especially if they if they also then have him taking games off as well. Uh, it just – it seems to me that they're maybe being a little too conservative with him, and hopefully this is the year that they let him go and he's actually able to stay healthy because, I, I mean, yeah, I'd, uh, playoffs or, you know, I'd, being Embiid in, in a playoff push, I think would be a phenomenal thing to watch. And it definitely would, would get me interested in, in the regular season a whole lot more than I usually am. I'd honestly uh, almost hate to be the Philly coaching staff and front office right wow. now. Um, just, just from the standpoint of like, you know, if you, if you play NB too little, you feel like you're, you're holding back this guy who could potentially be, you know, I mean, we're talking, I mean, honestly, we're talking like one of the best players ever type deal. I mean, maybe not like a top, you know, five, 10 player or something, but like a top 50 player ever. Um, but if you play him too much and hurt him, you know, maybe you, you know, ruin his career. So it's like, you know, you, you have to walk that delicate balance and you feel like you have this, you know, transcendent talent kind of at your disposal. And I would just kind of be afraid of, of ruining him. So um, obviously you'd rather have him than not, but I mean, it's just, you know, you don't want to be known as the guy who ruined Joel Embiid either. Well, right, and then, you know it's it's even it's it's similar. To, you see that a lot in baseball. You know, like Steven Strasburg when he first came up with the Nationals, that first year they ended up shutting him down while they were right smack dab in the middle of a playoff push. And I believe that they didn't make the playoffs, or they made it and then got out like immediately. Um, and they didn't have Strasburg available, and there was a lot of cons- you know a lot of talk about well. You know, what was the point in having him and, you know, and why, why did you shut him down when we really could have used help? And they talked a lot about, you know, needing him long term and wanting to make sure they didn't push him too hard. But you always have to wonder, you know, especially when winning, you know, a championship now or winning a title now is, is such a big premium compared to, you know, planning for the future. And, we, you know, we see that all the time. Everybody makes big pushes for getting the immediate championship or the immediate title. Um, you know, can you almost be a little too conservative for the future? Obviously, you've got a lot of money tied up in the future with 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 Embiid, but um, you know, it just really comes down to. I, I would hate to be the guy that has to make the call about this is the right balance that we need to have. So, all right, well, I think that about does it for the for the week uh, or for this Monday. I'm sorry, this is Tuesday episode. Um, we will go ahead and just give the one last. It's, it's kind of become a tradition now. Uh, Fetch, you, you've given us a minute on pretty much every other appearance you've had recently. So, uh, what what sport do you have for us this time? Yeah, so um, we uh, we talked about the um, we talked about uh, hockey. We had the the KU hockey coach on, uh, so we're we're gonna do the college hockey minute. I actually was gonna do this uh, on that one, but I had to go uh, a little bit early, unfortunately. Um, the um, season is uh, three weeks old uh, right now, and uh, it's had uh, a number of uh, kind of surprises. Um, Minnesota State, uh, which is a, a good team, um, but maybe not uh, a team that uh, is going to like challenge for a national championship, uh, went out to Boston University, uh, one of the more talented teams around, and swept them. Um, wow. The University of Denver, which is the uh, defending champion and uh, preseason number one team, uh, is 2-0-2 right now, which is two wins, zero losses, and two ties, uh, which is a little bit surprising since they haven't uh, played kind of the maybe the toughest uh, schedule. Um, my alma mater, actually, I probably should have done the full minute on this, but my alma mater is the University of North Dakota. Um, they just had a rivalry series. Uh, with the University of Minnesota, um, which is kind of the uh, KU Missouri of college hockey. 
um, except for um, while I think Missouri is kind of irrelevant, um, I want uh, I want UND and Minnesota to keep playing, and I want Minnesota to lose like every game ever. Whereas I just want Missouri to like fold their program and go away. So it's kind of a different type of hate. Um, lots of dead gophers thrown on the ice, which is nice. Uh, lots of fights, which uh, normally I'm not a big fighting and hockey person, but I will make an exception for that series. Um, Minnesota actually won the first game despite getting outshot uh, like two and a half to one. Uh, and then UND flexed their muscles and won 4-0 on Saturday. So they split. Uh, UND is currently ranked fourth in the country. They got kind of a young team, so um, hopefully it's it's only going to get better from there. But uh, just uh, just to quick read it off, your top five right now, Denver, uh, again, defending national champs. Uh, St. Cloud State, number two. Harvard, number three. Uh, North Dakota, number four. And Wisconsin, number five. So uh, those are kind of your, your big five teams right now, and I'm sure we'll have a midseason update later. Almost oh, definitely. So yeah, you you kind of get the the best of both worlds, right? You get one of the best hockey teams for one alma mater, and then one of the best basketball teams for the other, right? Yeah, I got I got pretty lucky, and it's you know kind of a um, kind of a, a night and day type of deal when you when you go to a game. I mean, the atmospheres are are nice uh, at both, but uh, the student section at KU is is much more raucous uh, than the student section in North Dakota. Um, the fans can, can kind of get a little, you know, North Carolina y where if the the home team's not winning, they kind of sit on their hands a little bit. Um, the one thing that, that uh they have at those games that, that KU doesn't is uh two bars in the arena. So Yeah, that's I mean that's kind of uh fun to take advantage of. So definitely a lot of people who just buy kind of a crappy ticket and then go stand in the bar the whole game, which I can't really blame them for their, you know, on both ends of the ice, which for me is the best view. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's maybe a little bit more of a uh, of a finicky crowd uh, at the UND hockey games, um, whereas, you know, KU certainly, you know, it, it can get quiet, I guess, but there's always kind of that sense that the, the fans are kind of waiting to explode, I think. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap up there. Uh, just one one bit of news that we didn't mention, you know, one big event that happened over the weekend that we haven't talked about yet. The uh, KU volleyball team obviously uh, swept Texas Tech in straight sets. So that was a, a, a good win for them to continue their uh, dominant performance they had against Baylor after losing that match to Texas. So I, I know you were probably thinking I was going to be talking about something else, but we've kind of decided we're not going to talk about that one event that happened. Yeah, no, I uh, I actually watched that volleyball game, um, or or about half of it, I guess, and they looked really good. I mean, you look at even when they lost to Texas, I mean, they probably should have won that match. Um, I don't I don't think they're going to have a an upset loss uh, in the NCAA tournament this year. I mean, they look really good. I think if if they lose, it's going to be, you know, late in the tournament and it's going to be against a team that, you know, legitimately goes out there and, and earns it. So uh, they look really good. And then, yeah, I mean, the, the debacle on Saturday, um, I was actually lucky enough to not have to watch it. I was uh, I was in Atlanta last week and actually went to the uh, Georgia Tech-Wake Forest game, which was at the, the same time. And uh, just to, you know, I have to do this, um, you know, Georgia Tech, famously is the only power five school that runs a triple option. And uh, I mean, they just tore Wake Forest apart and you know, Wake Forest isn't, I mean, a a great defense by any means, but you know, they're not bad. And I mean, they just, you know, I mean, they just tore them apart. And I just, I don't know why Kansas doesn't go hire, you know, Jeff Monk in an army or Willie Fritz at Tulane and run, you know, that type of an offense. And at least at least do something different, you know. I, I mean, I don't really see the argument against it at this point. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree with you there. I was I started watching that game, and then got about halfway, or I made it to half, and then decided that I was going to go watch something else. And I kind of checked in here and there, but I ended up falling asleep before we even got to the fourth quarter. So, and <laughs> I, I don't blame you there. Yeah, tar- turns out I didn't really miss much. There wasn't really any other good games. I was watching a little bit of the. Uh, the game seven against the, or between the Astros and the, and the Yankees. So 
there, there was oh, sure. other good stuff on, but uh, you know, obviously all the uh, the questions that have been flying around the national media about why was Kansas in the primetime slot and all of that fun stuff, and then. You know, obviously, the, uh, the World Series probably should have been my uh, sports minute of the week, I guess. But yeah, well, you know what? Though the World Series will still be going on next week, so we so we can talk about it. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. So so just let's get it on record. Who? What's your prediction? Uh, I am going to go ahead and say Astros and six. Ooh, I think I'm going to go. Uh, do they go? Do they go two three two in baseball? Uh, no, it's uh, it's two two and then one one one. Okay. So I'm going to go Dodgers in – I'm going to say seven just for the storylines. I just think, you know, Kershaw being able to go one four seven, um, I think is going to be a little bit too much. Uh, and plus the, the back half of their bullpen is really good. Um, I've only – you know, I haven't been watching them all year, obviously, but both teams have been great. So I, I wouldn't be surprised with either one, that's for sure. Yeah. You know what? Actually, it looks like I was wrong. It is it is two three two. So does does that change your prediction at all? Now I'm gonna I'm gonna keep with it. Just you know, Clayton Kershaw has been so like unfairly maligned for you know a couple postseason losses that you know weren't really his fault, and so I think it would be you know kind of poetic for him to you know come out in Game Seven and just kind of you know slam the door. I'm not really yeah I'm not rooting for either team. I don't really uh, there's no one on the Dodgers or Astros who I like. You know, I mean, I like players on both teams, but there's no one that I, you know, actively like or actively dislike. So right. I'm just kind of rooting for good baseball. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. Obviously, my team's not in it. So, um, you know, I, I kind of feel a little bad for the Astros after what they had to deal with when the uh, Royals went and won the World Series. So, you know, karma, I'd like to see them go ahead and win it. But, uh, you know, the Dodgers obviously also, this is the, what their first time in the world series since, uh, in, in like 29 years, I believe is what they were saying. So, and yeah, I think I'm almost thinking, you know, this is the parallel to the Royals. So they're going to, you know, they're going to get to the world series and lose it in heartbreaking fashion this year. And then next year, the Dodgers will win it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, next, next year, the twins are going to win it. So, well, we'll see. They have, they have, <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, yeah, yeah. We'll see how that goes for for both those teams. I don't know. Cle- Cleveland looks like they're going to be pretty good for for quite a few years. So, yeah. Unfortunately, I think you're probably right. Yeah. Oh well. All right. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely go ahead and leave it there at this point. Um, obviously, uh, there's not well, there's not really a whole lot I think to look forward to this particular week. Um, especially you know thinking that the can thinking about the fact that Kansas State is. Uh, the matchup that we have this weekend. Uh, you know, I actually had saw Mike put it up on Twitter that the uh, the line was like 20, I think 21 and a half points or something like that. And in order to get him to bet on KU, you'd have to at least double it. And even then it wouldn't be a guarantee. I'm, I don't know that we're going to have much to look forward to in our Friday episode in terms of football, but I'm sure we can find something to talk about. So um, thank, thank you, Fetch, for, for joining me tonight. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, We will be back again on Friday. We will be previewing somewhat, somehow, the game that's coming up on Saturday. Uh, I'm sure we'll find some other things to kind of talk about, too. But uh, make, make sure you catch us on Friday, and we will see you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Talk Podcast. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.